This episode is brought to you by North Texas Honda Dealers. North Texas Honda Dealers, they're here to help. He has time, launches it to the end zone. Touchdown, Terrence Williams. Goes to the right side for Crabtree. It's caught. He oh, he's going hard for What's he up the right sideline? He's got to go. He's tackled. Sam Houston wins it. The Bearcats capture their first FCS championship. Welcome to the Republic of Football. I'm your host, Ishmael Johnson, Sunday wrap-up edition. Joining me for her first Sunday episode, Mallory Hartley. Hello, Mallory. Hello. <laughs> I'm excited. And, this is my yeah, first Sunday too. episode. I was so craving before you joined. I was like, yeah. oh man, I'm excited to just be on and, and like just listen in on on how you guys do this thing because I've never been a part of one. So <laughs> now it's it's really cool. It's just a lot of recap and a lot of looking back. Uh speaking of Craven, Mike Craven back <laughs> from the Iron Skillet. Uh how was uh how you doing, man? It was good. Uh Fort Worth is that's an easier drive back to Austin. Got right on the 35 and got out of there. So it was nice. I got back uh, in time to watch some of the late games. So it was a good Saturday. Nice, nice. All right. Well, for those of you familiar with the Sunday uh wrap-up shows, we typically go power rankings in reverse order, but we're gonna switch it up a bit. You got some headline games, so we're just gonna hit off with the headlines right away. Um, no use in putting them uh behind anything. We'll go in the reverse order later after we get through these games, but First off, starting off the top, let's get to it. Mike Craven, you called this the biggest game in UTSA history. UTSA over Memphis, 31-28. I'm going to let you take it from here. Man, this team was down, looked down and out in the first half. Don't give a good coach adjustment time because he will come out and kick a field goal to win the game. Yeah, I remember saying last week that I thought maybe this game was going to be a little too big for UTSA. Like this was kind of their first real big regular season game on national TV like that, where there was some perception and issue, you know, like people are going to find out about them nationally. And at first it, it looked like that was true. You know, I, I get into my car after the game, they're down 21 to nothing. And it's like, okay, what's happening here? Uh, but they showed, you know, they, they talk about that 2-1-0 triangle of toughness all the time. And they really showed it. I mean, to go on the road and beat you know, their second good program of the year, started off with Illinois and now with Memphis, uh, to overcome, you know, a 28-14 deficit in the fourth quarter, uh, to run the ball a lot, you know, even being down mm -hmm. 21 to nothing and kind of even being down two touchdowns going in the fourth quarter. Sincere McCormick, I think, ran the ball more times than anybody in NCAAs ran it since 2017. So uh, he got a lot of touches. They stuck with the script. They never bailed on what they were doing. They never panicked. And, uh, yeah, it was it was a big win. It was an important win. And now we're looking at, you know, does this UTSA team go 10 and 0 into that UAB? You know, is there an undefeated season out there? Is there a conference championship game out there? So hype train is now rolling uh, steadily through San Antonio. I saw that somebody tweeted out that UTSA is probably considered the best G5 team in the nation. Do you agree with that? I mean, I would still pick, you know, Cincinnati or something if that, if that, if they still count, BYU is still a really good team, yeah, but, yeah. um, you know, neutral site, they're, they're within a touchdown, you know, one way or the other of any of those G5 teams out there. And, and if you would have told me that in 2019, I, I would have laughed at you. So uh, a pretty big turnaround. And it's just another example of what Jeff Trailer has brought to this program to, to get down like that and to, to come back in the fashion that they did. 
Uh, it was impressive. I sat here from like 11 o'clock last night till two o'clock in the morning, just rewatching it. It was a, it was an impressive game. I think the, the most promising thing for me was that, you know, leading up to this game, we'd kind of seen a different UTSA in terms of how they were winning games. They weren't relying on sincere McCormick. Frank Harris was throwing the ball a little bit better. He was finding his receiver. The defense was still playing great. This one, they got back to what we kind of realized UTSA can be. You mentioned it when they got down, they were like, all right, let's use our all, you know, all American caliber running back and let's get back into this game. They completely shut down Memphis's offense in the second half um, after Seth Hennigan had a really good first half and he's been a really good, really promising quarterback for them. Um, surprising me, definitely. And then he looked like a really poised player against a really good UTSA defense until that second half when they kind of just shut down the running game, shut down what he was doing in the passing game and after that, I mean, Frank Harris didn't have a good game. Um, they, you know, Memphis was really kind of keying in on what he, probably his limitations. And Zachary Franklin, as we know, uh, has been a big player for them. He wasn't able to really get going either. And it was Sincere McCormick. It was him that did that. And it was the defense that came up big late. They got a fumble. I know they didn't capitalize on that, on that, uh, the following possession late in the game when they got the fumble recovery, but they were able to hold the Memphis offense again. And so we're able to, they were able to set up the uh, game-winning field goal towards the end. So, yeah, like you said, this it looked like UTSA was running into a program that, okay, they still have another uh, uh, step to go before they're really in that uh, elite group of five level. But now, I mean, like you said, the schedule matches up really nicely to where you know, this is going to be a really, really special season. This isn't, I mean, this is the second time they were 4-0, but even this time feels different than last time. They're not, they're not squeaking by with things that, you know, a, a gimmick offense or weird, you know, flying kind of like adrenaline pushes or things like that. They're really just matching up against these teams and beating them face-to-face. So I think that's what's been the most promising for me. Moving on to number two, I got Texas over Texas Tech. Let me breathe before I say this score. 70 to 35. Um, uh, Mike, what happened to Texas Tech? Casey Thompson. Yeah. Uh, It really does feel like this offense is, is a completely different thing with Casey Thompson in charge. And it makes you wonder what that game against Arkansas looks like if he's start from the beginning. but you'd imagine it was closer throughout the game than it ended up being uh, in week two against Arkansas. So now I think this is more about Texas. You know, it's proven that that Arkansas team is, is really, really good. Mm-hmm. And so you take away that performance away on the road and you look at what UT's done. They've beat a, a solid Louisiana team by 20. They did what they were supposed to do against Rice. And now they put up 70 against Texas Tech. Uh, Bajon Robinson is tremendous. Casey Thompson looks good. And the offensive line, had a game where we don't have to talk about them all that much. And maybe that's about Texas Tech and where they still need to get to in the front seven. But, yeah, I think you check every single box for Texas. Maybe the defense gives you concerns there late in the game, giving up 35. But um, good game for, for UT, and, and I think it puts them into that conversation with the Big 12 you know, title contenders, especially what happened with Oklahoma and Iowa State. Yeah, I was looking at this one. Uh, we'll talk about the Texas Tech side in a bit, but I think that – you mentioned Casey Thompson because the offense, I mean, I don't know. People have said it before, but this offense just looks better. It looks more fluid. It looks more comfortable. He's not thinking as much. You see a lot of the, a lot of the quick reads and a lot of the, the 
kind of the RPO elements that Sarkeesian wants to add. Uh, there was some really cool uh, end around stuff with with Whittington and things like things of that nature. And they were able to that, that of course frees up Bijan Robinson to do what he wants to do. Of course, that frees up Roshan Johnson to be a spell uh, at times for him. And they just looked. They, I don't know. They just looked more explosive. I mean, we always mentioned. I think when we were talking about heading into the season their receiving options, but I mean, when they've looked good, Xavier Worthy and Jordan Whittington look like potential receiving options, right? Maybe they're not the exact, you know, all conference caliber guys that we maybe feel like Texas needs, but for right now, I don't know. I think these guys are good enough to get it done. They showed against the Texas Tech defense that was feeling, that was really feeling itself that they can really create separation. They can really assert themselves. I think uh, Tech, they had a pick six early that kind of put the game to bed. I mean, it was 28-7, uh, I believe, at that point. And they had a pick six that just kind of put this to put this to bed. Uh, Tyler Shuck, of course, goes out. Henry Columbia comes in, and they don't let him get anything going. I think he had maybe one good pass, really. Um, and the rest of it was just all Texas. I don't know. I don't know how you could feel any better about this. I mean, opening conference play, putting up 70 um, against a team that was that we thought was pretty good. And I still think Tech is pretty good, but I think maybe this shows, and maybe the Arkansas result, we'll get to that in a bit, shows that Texas might actually be okay, despite what we thought we, uh, the negatives that we thought we had against them after, uh, after they had lost Arkansas early in the year. Moving on to number three, before we get to AM, I still want to talk about the good. Baylor. Baylor, 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 over Iowa State, 31-29. Um, heading into this game, I immediately asked myself, is Baylor good because they've played basically no one? And, yeah, Baylor's awesome. Like, <laughs> Baylor really, the offense, all, all the questions I had about the offense were almost answered, pretty much answered. Gary Bahannon can move the ball. He wasn't asked to do a crazy amount, but – I think the thing that impressed me the most was this Baylor offensive line. They were sensational. They bullied Iowa State up front, a pretty good Iowa State defense, to where they could just chip away and chip away at this defense and basically push them over and hold this lead and hold this game down to where they would come out and win. I think Baylor, there was such a, a discussion about that middle of the Big 12 I think Baylor is starting to assert itself as one of the teams that can push its way upward. Yeah, I mean, this is a, a real, you know, kind of flag in the ground win for David Aranda that he can use on the recruiting trail, um, all that kind of stuff. You know, they may crack into the top 25 this week or kind of hover around it at least. And like we were talking about last week, we didn't know a ton about Baylor. We, we thought we knew that the offensive line was good. We figured the defense was pretty solid. Aranda knows how to get that, that side of the ball playing well. So, this one really answered a lot of questions. Like I said, that offensive line is phenomenal. They're, they're probably the best unit on that team, uh, maybe the best offensive line in the Big 12 right now. And so uh, with that, it allows G Gary Bohannon to do pretty much whatever he wants. You add in some play-action passes, and he didn't really you know, see a lot of pressure. And like mm. you said, they didn't take a ton of deep shots down the field. They didn't ask him to take too many risky passes, but that's okay. If you're going to have that kind of stat line and you have an offensive line where you think you can run the ball 40, 50 times a game, uh, you do that and you play defense and he's growing into that position. He looks a lot more confident now. And I, I do think starting off with those three games, while it didn't give people like us much fodder to talk about, it allowed him to kind of grow into being a starting, starting quarterback without a ton of pressure. Sure. And uh, we saw the results of that on Saturday. He just looked like a guy who belonged. And that's the question we've had about Baylor 
if they have a guy who can be a leader and can make the right play, uh, I think they can go pretty far. And this is a down year in the Big 12. It's wide open. Why not, Baylor? Yeah, I think that when you look at some of the other results in the Big 12, I mean, we thought Tech was going to be a team up there. We thought Oklahoma was going to run away with it. Oklahoma looks very vulnerable, absolute, uh, pretty much in uh, so far in the year. And Iowa State, we expected Iowa State to be a team that would be up there and running it. And I don't know. I hate. I don't want to use the word up in the air because I, I feel like we'll have to wait until the Red River game to actually really get a sense of where this conference is. But it feels more open than in previous years than what we originally thought. So we'll see. I think that game is looming pretty pretty largely right now. And you only have to finish second, right? Yeah. I mean, you just got to get to the just got to get in the title game. Yeah, you just get there, and then something weird can happen. So yeah. Um, yeah, even if Oklahoma does figure it out and turn it on like they they're known to do, mm-hmm. uh, you just got to be second. They've already beat Iowa State, so they're right there. Yeah. Moving on, I'm trying to bring up the score right now. Texas A&M, oh boy, loses to Arkansas twenty to ten in AT&T Stadium. Um, I'm trying to. To me, this played like a game that Arkansas knew AM's quarterback couldn't beat them. Mm-hmm. And we saw a lot of what we expected to see from Arkansas, which is insanely good offensive line play, um, a physical punishing running attack, a quarterback who didn't really need to make many risks. He made some big throws, but it wasn't like he was diming through the needle. It was he was hitting open receivers. And a defense that an AM defense that you know, got beat once or twice, and that was enough for touchdowns. Um, I don't know. Every time I saw Arkansas's defense come up with a big play or with a stop, it was because they were playing soft zone coverage, really just kind of let Zach Calzada throw into, like, these little soft pockets, and when he was asked to dial up something bigger, he couldn't. Um, I don't know. That's what I saw. I thought Arkansas looked like an absolute force. Um, and I think this has us re- reevaluating a lot about this season when it comes to AM, Texas, and kind of other teams that have played Arkansas now. I mean, Arkansas ran the ball 49 times. AM ran it 23. Yeah. I just, that was a one possession game for a lot of that second half. And, and sure. it, for the second straight week, it just looked like they gave too much to Calzada. I mean, they threw the ball 36 times. Arkansas only threw it 19, you know? Mm -hmm. So Arkansas went in with the game plan that we thought would work in this game. Just run the ball a lot, pass it when you have to, play really good defense. And A&M, for whatever reason, I mean, I think we all think the the running game is is the strength of of that team. And for whatever reason, for the second straight read, they've they've thrown the ball more than they've ran it. So, um, and when they ran the ball, I mean, they averaged 5.3 yards a carry. So it's like they weren't running the football I'm just not sure what the game plan is. I, I don't know what the drop-off is from Calzada you know, to, to Haynes King, so I don't know how much of the quarterback play is a factor here. Um, but if you're not overly confident in your quarterback, I don't know why they're, they're giving him so much responsibility. I, I just thought – I just really thought the play calling was a little bit interesting, and Arkansas was – you know, they kind of showed up ready. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they kind of threw the first punch, and it didn't really look like AM had many answers for that. Yeah, I think one of the things that I've been really disappointed with, and this is partially why I think the drop-off is pretty big from King to Calzada, is that I don't think this offensive line is very good this year. And you can see why somebody like a Haynes King works better, who can move a little bit more, who can get out of pressure. And I wonder if that was 
that was the reason they kind of went away from the running game is because they felt like they couldn't get a push consistently enough. Right. Um, you mentioned they had some decent yards, but how many, how much of that was just Spiller being that dude and being able to make something happen. Um, I wonder, because I know that Arkansas at, at a lot of times they weren't sending pressure very much. They were sending three, four and getting to Calzada and that was forcing him to make some really weird throws and to get him uncomfortable a bit. And yeah, I don't know. I think that, there's offensive line one. We knew it was young. We knew they lost a lot, but I know that they've also been shuffling in a lot of freshmen. We mentioned Bryce Foster playing center. I think Ruben Fathery is also a freshman. Got uh, the starting right tackle. Like you know, Kenyon Green's over to guard. So I'm assuming the tackle experiment with him is probably done. Um, so I wonder, you know, how much of this retooling you can consistently do when you're going in now, you're going into SEC play where you kind of hope that your offensive line, which you, well, last year was the strength of your team for the most part, or one of the strengths of your team, to being a detriment, how much you can keep retooling that going into a, you know, a conference where you need them to be kind of at the peak of their power. Let's crown Sam Pittman, you know, beat Texas, beat Texas A&M, beat Rice. I mean, they're on their way to the Southwest Conference Championship 2021. <laughs> Basically, I was, I was talking to one of my friends where it's like, you know, looking at him and looking at this is kind of a tangent, but it's just an interesting point to make. Looking at him and looking at Cristobal at our, our Oregon, do you? Th- I wonder if this is like the sign of like offensive line coaches being someone that you can maybe assign and promote to run a program, right? We're looking at what Eric Mateus is doing at Baylor, right? We're lo- how much an offensive line just changes a program having a good offensive line. Um, UTSA, what happens with you know their offensive line has been stellar, and so like I'm wondering if that is, that's kind of a sign because, you know, Chad Morris did not have this team playing like this. Right. And this isn't the same offense that they're running now. And so in two years, he's flipped over that roster to do what they do now. Um, anyway, it's, it's just been really impressive. And now they look like uh, an absolute force in the sec. So that's going to be fun to fun to keep track of. I mean, they're just tough, right? I mean, they're just, yeah, Texas, they're just a, <laughs> Texas and Texas A&M teams that have fantastic running backs. They beat up the offensive line to the point where the play caller said, "Enough, we're just going to have to pass the ball forty times because we we can't we can't do it." And right. uh, I mean, they just beat them down. And I don't, Arkansas Alabama becomes a game that's like must watch TV here in a couple of weeks. Absolutely. All righty, let's get out of the fun and let's get into the rest of the power poll. Um, at the bottom of the power poll, now I don't see this changing very much. Um, Texas State loses at Eastern Michigan. 59-21. I do not know what else I can say at this point. Um, I had to watch this while looking like my television needed a color adjustment because they have a gray field in Eastern Michigan. Um, so, yeah, uh, Texas State defense can't tackle. Specifically, their secondary can't tackle. Um, and that's a problem. Uh, that's all I got. <laughs> Anybody else want to take it from there? I just, yeah, you know, you, you come out of that F- FIU game, right? And it really did feel. Or FIU. F, sorry. And yeah, yeah. No, really, they, didn't beat the, they didn't beat the good one. They beat the other right, one. Sorry, sorry. And they, they, it really did feel like that was a, a win to build on. And then, you know, you, it's just sports can be so crazy this way. How like two weeks can change life, you know? And like two, we flash forward two weeks later and the state of this program, I don't, I don't know where it goes. I don't know what the right answer is. There's a new admin, a new president coming in. I mean, 
everything's flipping over. You just wonder what they think this program can be because it's not like it was having a bunch of success bad all came in there and now they're not having success. So right. you start looking over the track record and it's like, okay, well, this coach isn't the right coach. Well, last coach wasn't the right coach. The coach before that wasn't the right coach. What are the problems? Where do you address them? How do you even address them? I think some of those have to be answered before we even get to what we do with the, the head football coach. Yeah. I'm wondering, I mean, I could go, of course I can talk about this for hours, but I'm going to try to end it with, you get a decent game from Brady McBride. You get a decent game from the running game and your defense just absolutely lets you down. Um, they couldn't get stops when they needed them to. And eventually it turned out, it looked like it was going to be a shootout for a bit. And then eventually the defense, the offense can't score one drive and the defense just lets it just, it gets out of hand. And so you end up playing catch up for the rest of the game. I don't know. This is a game they needed, basically. In my opinion, this is a game they needed because you looked at this off non-conference schedule. I thought three and one was absolutely a possibility going into conference. Now you're looking at one and three. I don't know where you go from here. So we'll see. <sighs> Moving on. Speaking of uh, another team that could change, actually speaking of a team that could change uh, just by what happened above them, let's go with Rice. Rice, 48-34, Jesus they almost let it happen um, <laughs> against Texas Southern. I mean, Rice is on their third quarterback. Um, I think those 21 points were scored like in roughly garbage time. Rice had this game pretty much controlled. Um, there's not much to take from this game. Rice, one and three, got their first win of the year. Texas Southern is still looking for their first win under Clarence McKinney. Um, Rice's defense did what it had to do for the most most of the part. I mean, like I said, that tw those 21 points were scored like very late when Rice basically had this game put away. Um, yeah, I don't know. Anything from this game? Mallory? <laughs> they put up over 620 yards of total offense, so they must have done something right, you know? Yeah, this is, I mean, this is an offense that struggled, right? This yeah, is another, yeah, they're moving the ball, which is, which is good. Sometimes you just need – I mean, as, as we mentioned with Baylor, sometimes you just need to see your offense working to get right. some confidence going and they got Southern Miss coming up. Southern Miss is not a powerhouse. So we'll see what we can, what they can do in that game. Uh, I do want to hint on uh, Texas Southern, Andrew body, shout out Corpus Christi Miller, Andrew body, getting his first start 19 to 35, 353. No touchdowns on no touchdowns in the air. One pick two touchdowns on the ground, 62 yards rushing. Andrew body missed Texas football finalist. I knew he was going to be a, a player for them. I did not think he would be uh, starting right away, but I'm glad to see it. Why not, Clarence McKinney? Yeah. Let him go. Why not? Winnable game coming up against North American. They can do yeah. it. They can get off the snide. Let Andrew Body cook is what I say. <laughs> All right. Speaking of a team that probably could fall, North Texas, 24-17 um, loss at La Tech. Um, the good thing is that the defense played great in this second half. Yeah. The bad thing is people were asking if Seth Latrell was going to get fired at halftime. <laughs> um, Man, because... I saw a lot of tweets about that. There were a lot of people that were angry and they were like, get him out of here. Get him out of here. It was yeah. not good. Not good. It, it started off bad. I mean, like did. the I mean, offense was... never got going. Yeah. It was 24 to seven going into the half. Um, you kind of sat there and wondered, yeah, maybe, maybe he does need to be fired at half. I mean, the, the spread to this game was only 11 and a half. Um, it was kind of, kind of questionable going into that. Um, yeah. Defense, like you said, came out in the second half and looked great. Um, the offense even looked a little bit better. Um, it was it, it, the game ended in a one possession, one possession yeah. game. Um, the, it's just the offense. I mean, 
the problem with the two quarterback system, it's just, just not working. It's not yeah. working. Um, you have no explosive players on offense. DeAndre Torrey, who's supposed to be that, that go-to guy, only rushed for 119 yards and one touchdown. It just seems like nothing's really working on offense, yeah. and it doesn't look good for the rest of the year. You have Missouri, Marshall, Liberty on the schedule. Just They can't get something going. If they can't get a solidified starter at quarterback, I just don't really know where you go from here. I mean, it's only a seven-point loss on the road against a team that required a Hail Mary pass by SMU to beat them, you know? So, I mean, La Tech's a decent team that, you know, could have had a lot of momentum going into this week. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, it's just – it's about quarterback. We talked about it last week. It's, it's going to be the same thing all year. Until they can manufacture some yards through the air, you just load eight, eight people in the box and you make them prove that they can beat you. And so far, uh, they haven't. Maybe Mason Fine has some younger brothers we haven't heard of, of before. Let's hope. (laughs) I think it's, I I tweeted this out. It's very much getting like Seth Luttrell's career is very much getting defined as Mason Fine versus not having Mason Fine. And I think it's very telling that when I was looking on the um, uh, North Texas YouTube page, their highlights start with like 30 seconds to go in the second quarter. Like it was like, it's like usually when you have the highlight reel ready to go, it's like, cool. All the cool plays from the first quarter is like, Nope, almost halftime. There's their first touchdown. That's where the highlights started. As far as we know, that's where the game started. Cause that's where the highlights keep going. But I mean, like you mentioned it with the two quarterback system. The reason why it worked last year is because one of them gave you something different. Right. And it didn't even work great, but you understood why he was playing this yo-yo game because somebody like a Jason Bean gave you something drastically different than the other. And I don't know, for some reason, I feel like he just wants to go with Austinani, mm-hmm. but he keeps throwing Jace Reuter in there because Austinani, I feel like if Austinani wasn't the guy, he would have enough evidence to know that he wasn't the guy because he has last year, he has some of this year. He has all the off season, but I feel like he wants to make him the guy so bad. Maybe it's because of his, his arm, you know, that baseball background that he just likes a lot what he has with his arm. But yeah, I don't know if, if DeAndre Torrey's not rushing for however many yards, this offense just falls flat because they can't get protection. And I think the most disappointing thing is the defense played great in the second half, right? I mean, I know LaTeX was without um, Austin Kendall. I think he was out. So they played, um, uh, I forgot his name, uh, uh, Allen, Aaron Allen, uh, quarterback, who looked pretty struggled he struggled at times uh, in that second half he was almost trying to throw the ball away at time or throw the game away it seemed at times um and you get a decent performance like that from a defense that's really struggled mm-hmm. and you come out and you still fall flat because your offense can only put up 17 points despite you being an offensive minded coach you know so i completely understand you know when it was 24 nothing everybody's frustrated because understandably this is a team that they're kind of used to defensive struggles. And when you see the offensive struggles, you're like, okay, what's kind of happening here? What's the long-term game plan? Right. Yeah, exactly. So um, we'll see. I mean, that, that second half was promising, right? This this isn't a team that's quitting. This isn't a team that's Mm -hmm. lying down. Um, They could have easily done that against a good law tech team. So we'll see. Yeah. I was going to say, if anything comes out, comes good out of this game, it's that they can, they don't give up and then they finish, you know, they try and finish. Exactly. I mean, their teams have been known to quit on coaches that they feel they don't believe in anymore. Mm -hmm. And that's not happening right now. So that's something that he can still point to, to as a sign of life, moving on in the power pole up a spot, dear God, UTEP 20 to 13 over New Mexico. Are we talking bowling minors? Mike Craven. I mean, I think it's possible, right? If this is the year to beat North Texas, 
Um, you get Old Dominion up next. Southern Miss, as we just talked about earlier, not that great of a team. They host Rice. Um, so they only need three out of those four. And three of them are at home, I believe, are the ones I just mentioned. So I think it's possible. I mean, mm-hmm. would I put my money on it? I'm not, I don't know. But, I mean, I do think, it, think it's possible. The defense looked uh, pretty good over the last three quarters yesterday. Um, they have a good running game. Haskins was back in there. A.Y. Mm-hmm. does his thing. So they got two guys that they could really run the ball to. Hardison's growing. And then Jacob Cowling's a real star. Like That kid yeah. that kid's a legit all-conference USA type player at wide receiver. So they got some weapons on offense. I think they can score against those teams I just mentioned. What the defense does is, is up in the air. I think that's still kind of the question mark. New Mexico's is not very good offensively. So mm-hmm. uh, that helped a tremendous amount yesterday to come over. To, to come back from that deficit or whatever. But yeah, I mean, I, I think it was one of those where had they lost those games, we're kind of talking about what this UTEP program is, where it's going and, and what, what is a ceiling in El Paso. Uh, I think we're starting to see that. And that's just mm-hmm. kind of a, you know, a good program that's not going to beat itself that can play some defense and then offense can be explosive with some Juco guys and guys you find in New Mexico, Arizona. That's not a bad recipe out there. That's not a bad recipe out there. And it was a big win. And the way they won, I thought was important. Yeah. I mentioned how UTEP's offense seems to be zero or 60 um, because like they're either not moving the ball at all or Jacob Cowering's getting a 57 yard pass and like Justin Garrett's getting like a Lynn Swan ass tip ball to himself. And it's just like, you mentioned Jacob Cowing, but I want to mention Justin Garrett um, does have, like they're both all conference caliber receivers, right? Like those are two big play dudes and you just kind of need Gavin Hardison to be a guy who can just sling the ball to them. Right. He doesn't even need, he doesn't need to be this dissecting, you know, short route that if he can just get the ball to them, like you're fine. And, they haven't had a quarterback like that in a while who just has a big arm who can make those big plays downfield. Um, I think uh, you mentioned the running game. Dion, you mentioned uh, Hankins is healthy again. Hopefully um, Wadley is, can get better. I know uh, Dana Dimble mentioned that he was um, he's banged up again. So we'll see, but if this team can stay healthy, man, like the offensive line's playing decently, the defense still is very, very solid. I mean, I don't know if you can, picture uh or kind of the hold uh, uh new mexico better than they did in the entire second half basically um yeah i mean the schedule stacks up really really nicely this could be something really special because we saw this last year they were three and one but they played fcs teams they kind of squeaked by them now they're beating better teams right new mexico is not necessarily a juggernaut but they're beating them and who knows, man? I mean, the Sun Bowl, they started, they started to get a little bit of a crowd out there. I know it's New Mexico, so that's a bit of a rivalry, but they started to get a little bit of a crowd out there last night. Looked and stadium started to look nice. If they can get that place rocking, I'm excited to see what the UTEP Miners can do this year. All right, moving on in the power poll. Oh, Navy, or sorry, Houston, almost, almost lost to Navy, but they came out with a win, 28-20. I was terrified. This was 17 to seven Navy at halftime. And again, I need to remind you, this is not a good Navy team this year, but they came out absolutely grinding that triple option and Clayton tune. I believe they Houston probably ran the worst two minute drill I've ever seen to end the half to where Clayton tune fell in bounds, could tried to spike it, tried to line up and spike it with like five seconds, had absolutely no time. I don't know what Dan Holgerson said at halftime, but they basically came out and said, yeah, we're not letting this happen. And just, just ran through them. Clayton Toon decided to not 
play inconsistent and just decided to put this game away. And when you're chasing a game, when Navy's chasing a game, trying to get back into a game, that's when you know you're at the upper hand because they that offense cannot get things going if they're behind. Thank God, Houston, because we were about to have some big discussions. That triple option is not fun to face. We talked about that a little last week. I mean, you know it's going to be annoying. There's some, there's a little, there's a couple wrinkles Navy throws in there in that first half that kind of catches Houston off guard. You can tell they kind of manipulated the numbers a little bit to to force some to force some problems there on the on the like the mesh point. Um, but in the third quarter, Navy only had six plays. You know, and that that's the key to beat Navy is to to keep the you ball away from them. I know everybody talks about how they play keep away. But the fewer possessions you can give them and, and the fewer first downs you allow on those possessions, you know, then they can't really get into that momentum of the nine play, 10 play, 11 play, 12 play drive that they, they do well at. My thing coming out of that game, because I, I think we knew Houston would win. And, and like you said, you know, good on them for doing so. What is Clayton Toon's injury situation? What is his health situation? Because there was times yesterday where you could tell he, he was not right. And mm-hmm. so – there's still a lot of season ahead of them. Uh, how good do they feel about the backup? How good do they feel about his hamstring? Yeah. Those are some questions for Holgerson. Uh, not necessarily to answer, but he'll have to really think about those over the next couple of weeks because it looked like Toon was, you know, one full-on sprint away from having to get pulled out of that game. Sure, sure. I think one of the things that this season reminds me, and we mentioned it kind of with the Rice game and in this game in particular, Houston's floor is still so much higher than so many other teams, right? Eventually, they're just going to be more talented, faster, bigger, more physical than so many teams. And that was clear in this game. I mean, they, like I said, they didn't even play great. It was a couple of busted coverages from Navy that they hit over the top. And that was it, right? Navy could not, they couldn't get anything going when the defense started to click. And when you figured out that triple option, you can kind of figure out how to, you know, stick to your matchups. And Again, even a poor, mediocre Houston performance can put this game away, which is exactly what happened. So um, Houston's one of those teams where you're like, I don't quite know what I'm watching, and then they win. It's like, okay, never mind. I guess it doesn't matter. So uh, moving on a little bit in the power poll. Number seven, SMU, 42-34 over TCU. Let's stick with SMU on this one. We'll get to TCU in a bit. Mike Craven, you were at this game. Holy crap. Yeah, I, I know that we all talk about Tanner Mordecai and the wide receivers in the passing game, and we should because they're, they're really talented. They're really good. They can throw around the ball. I was impressed by the running game of SMU. Like that offensive line beat up the TCU defensive line. Ulysses mm-hmm. Bentley had a big game. Trey Siggers had a big game. Uh, they got three guys that can really run the ball there, and they just, they just wore them down. You could see in the second half where TCU just didn't want any more of that yeah. up front. And – I don't know if I, I mean, I'm in the, I'll just stick with the Gary Patterson era era. Mm-hmm. I don't think I've ever seen an SMU team that was more physical than TCU. Mm-hmm. And yesterday for the first time in Gary Patterson's time playing against SMU, we saw an SMU team that was much more physical on both sides of the line of scrimmage. That has to be uh, the point that concerns Gary Patterson and TCU the most and it's got to be the most exciting part for Sonny Dykes. They didn't just scheme their way to a victory. They didn't just throw the ball around on their way to a victory. They got in the trenches, and they beat up a team that's known for being physical in the Big 12. It was a statement win. I think they had 350 yards rushing. Like it was a statement win for that team. Yeah, I think uh, Gary Patterson even said that to Sonny Dykes afterward when they went to their handshake. He was like, look, you guys just 
beat the hell out of us basically. And, you know, I think the thing that I was, I definitely was impressed by the running game because I kind of thought that would be the thing that they would rely on this year with somebody. I'm not saying Tanner Mordecai was incapable of leading that offense, but heading into the season, that was the more known part of that team. Ulysses Bentley, Tyler Levine, uh, Trey Siggers coming in from North Texas. Like that was kind of the stable of backs that they had. And you were like, okay, well, let's, let's use that to our advantage. And that way we don't have to rely on Tanner Mordecai as much. And granted, he was good enough to where he didn't need to, you know, you could, you could uh, rely on Tanner Mordecai, but in this game, you know, Tanner Mordecai had three picks. He didn't exactly play, uh, make the best decisions. So, okay, let's get 20 carries to Bentley. Let's get 20 carries to Siggers and let's really just churn out because we'll get to TCU in a bit. Yeah. They mauled TCU in the trenches. And this game was basically a two score game and you felt it was kind of over because, you know, TCU kind of scored late and, you know, it kind of made it a game at the end, but it kind of felt over for a bit because you just didn't feel that one TCU was going to hit a big play that they needed against SMU's defense or that TCU was going to stop SMU if they needed to get a stop. And so I don't know when it was two scores up, I was like, I kind of don't care if TCU gets this to a one score game. Cause I don't think, they're going to, I don't think they're going to win regardless because I thought SMU was just so more succinct. Um, this game in the first half looked like a shootout. Like it looked like it was going to be 42, 42 at the half. Um, of course ended up being uh 21, 21, but I can tell Gary Patterson was definitely not happy about that. Sonny Dykes was like, sure, let's let it rip. I don't care. Like, let's keep, let's keep this going. Um, but yeah, SMU definitely turned up the defense in the second half and just really made this uh, TCU team look very uncomfortable. Yeah, All right. It was, good, it was a good win. Yeah, good definitely. Win. And uh, of course, Rasheed Rice playing up the controversy by stabbing the flag middle of the field in Amon oh, wow. G. Carter Stadium, uh, just rubbing it in. I love that kind of robbery stuff. Um, all right, moving on. We got to talk about the other side, of course. Mentioned Texas beat Texas Tech 70 35. Texas Tech, look. Um, this game was over when Tyler Shuck threw that pick down, that pick six down 20 to make it 20, 28 7. I know when they were down 14 nothing, I was like, okay, this is fine. We've seen Tech come back. And then, sure enough, they go down, they score 7 14 7, and then they just get no more stops. And they get no push up front against an offensive line that looked very vulnerable recently against Arkansas and even uh, in recent games. And Tyler Shuck goes out and Henry Columbia has to come in. It's like, I, we know what Henry Columbia is. He's not a guy who's necessarily going to be able to bring you back in this game. Of course they put up 35, but at that point I'm like, I don't think Texas is that concerned because they know they're not going to stop them on the other end. Um, I'm, I don't want to be too harsh on Texas tech because it's possible that Texas might just be actually pretty good. Yeah. That, that's kind of where I'm at with it. I, I think this was more about UT being pretty good. Um, than it is about Texas Tech being the same old Texas Tech. Now, you know, maybe we need to pump our brakes on Matt Wells not being on the hot seat and that Houston Fair. win being a, being a big deal just because we saw that Cougar team struggle with Navy. And uh, But I, I do think this Texas team is pretty good. The thing that, that really was troubling to me, other than Tyler Shuck's injury, obviously, uh, was they just they didn't run the ball very well, and they mm -hmm. definitely lost it on the defensive line side of it. So – you know, you think that gap is closing offensive line, defensive line wise. And if you're going to close this, this Texas group, isn't that good. You know, this yeah. isn't, you know, where Sarkeesian wants that offensive line to be. So if you can't keep up in year three under Matt Wells in the trenches or Sarkeesian's one year with Kyle flood in the trenches, how big is that gap going to continue to grow 
over the next couple of years, if Texas really does start learning how to develop offensive linemen in a way that they should in this state. So um, I don't know. I, I think it was one of those, it's, you're going to have to look in the mirror if you're Texas Tech and what they do next week and the week after really comes to define this team. If they can bounce back, get some wins, and it's just, okay, Texas is a pretty decent team, big deal. If this kind of starts a spiral and they don't get to six, seven, eight wins this year, I, I don't I don't know what the future is in Lubbock for Matt Wells. Yeah, and I think the most troubling thing, aside from the performance, was now you have Tyler Shuck potentially out. Taj Brooks apparently is going to be missing a couple of weeks too, according to Don Williams over at the Lubbock Avalanche Journal. There go your, there goes your two biggest offensive weapons right off the bat. And so now, of course, luckily, Sir Thompson's back healthy. But, okay, what's the, we saw this offense with him and Henry Columbia last year, right? We saw kind of the ceiling of what they could do, and it ended up with Matt Wells having to revamp the entire offense and trying to get a new quarterback. So, you know, what's that, what does that mean going forward? I don't know, but it's kind of crunch time now. You're in Big 12 play. There's no more, you know, this is it, basically, for Matt Wells and this team. So, I don't know how, how long does he, how, what do these lingering injuries kind of look like heading out throughout the season is kind of what I'm looking for now. And you got West Virginia, TCU, Kansas, your next three. I mean, you got to walk out of there two and one at least because yep. uh, it's only going to get harder that, that last month of, of the year. And I mean, I, I think anything below bowl eligibility uh, spells doom for him and love it. Yep. hundred percent. All right, moving on. Uh, we mentioned Texas. Uh, of course they beat Texas tech. All right, let's get to the other side of the skillet. TCU, um, of course, losing 42-34, second straight loss in two matchups to SMU. Um, TCU's defense is a problem. Um, I, I we'd, I'd originally said their pass rush was a problem, but now I'm just throwing the whole thing out there. Like, the whole defense is an issue. They couldn't stop anything. The run, the pass, explosive plays, whatever. I did not like any of that. <laughs> Yeah, the interior of TCU's defensive line was just getting blown back just yeah. play after play after play. I felt like SMU was three, four yards, you know, into their run before somebody made contact with them. Um, so, yeah, they got to fix that. I mean, I think we all knew linebacker was going to be kind of an iffy spot for them. But I always mm -hmm. feel they're going to play good in the secondary, and they'll figure it out in the defensive line. I, I really think they're missing a guy like a Ross Blaylock or something like that in the interior of their line to just anchor them. Uh, the pass rush isn't as good as it needs to be. And then, you know, I think Zach Evans is really good. They got, mm -hmm. they got somebody to build the offensive round. I just don't know if they're ever going to give him enough touches to really do that. I'd like to see him used in the way that Bajon Robinson's getting used at Texas right now, where you just go, Hey, that's our best player. We're not making any secrets about this. We're going to give him the ball 25 times, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and I just they had a couple deep shots, but it was either a wide receiver dropped it or the pass was was off or and so this is going to have to be a team that outscores teams and that just doesn't feel right when we're talking about a Gary Patterson team like you were mentioning earlier when we we're talking about SMU it wasn't like a blowout, you know there. It was a one possession game with like six, seven minutes left it was an eight yeah. point game and I'm looking around the stands and everybody's leaving. And then I look at <laughs> right I look at my computer and I'm writing my story. Right? <laughs> nobody, nobody there believed that they had a chance. And that that's just not at home against SMU. You're only down eight. Your offense has the ball. There shouldn't be that feeling around the stadium. And there was undeniably that feeling around the stadium of even if we go down and score, so will SMU. Let's mm -hmm. beat the traffic. Yeah. I think uh, 
don't know if you know Parker from Stats of War on Twitter, uh, one of our good friends in the industry. He's, of course, TCU fan, so he has a lot of advanced stats on TCU. Let me show, let me ask you this. Does this sound like a Gary Patterson team? 50% of SMU's rushing yards came after contact. Uh, TCU's defense missed 20 tackles on, on paper against SMU yesterday. I mean, that's it right there, right? You this you just aren't physical. You you aren't able to, and I think we thought this was going to be the year with somebody like an Oshawn Mathis as that premier guy, um, Hodges Tomlinson in the back, where it's like, okay, you have potential star players. Let's see them kind of take that next step, and they just haven't haven't really at all. And SMU's offense was just getting absolutely everything. Max Duggan who I don't think played terribly, just didn't really have time to throw. Receivers, you mentioned, were dropping passes. I don't think they got uh, Quentin Johnson a a single reception, which is insane to me. Um, That's one of your best receivers, and he couldn't really get anything going. It was basically Zach Evans or nothing with that offense. And as good as he is, you know, you're still trying to bring him up to speed a lot of the time. And and here's the problem. Like, not only is TCU struggling, but the team recruiting against you in the Metroplex 30 minutes away is on the rise, and they've now beat you twice in your home stadium over three years. Mm -hmm. And I went back and I looked at the recruiting numbers, and right now they're recruiting at about the same, and like the 50s, you know, in that range or whatever. TCU was recruiting in the 20s 10 years ago. So, you know, I think in 2012, TCU had like the 28th ranked recruiting class in the nation. SMU had the 70th. You look at it right now and they're within two or three spots of each other. And so SMU's stock is rising in the city and in, rec- in recruiting and TCU's is falling. You start adding winning on top of that. And the big 12 doesn't carry the cachet on a recruiting trail like it used to with everything kind of getting jumbled up. SMU is really taking over the Metroplex and it is a zero sum game for TCU. The better SMU gets, the worse TCU gets. And yep. it's just, it's a battle that's hard to win right now. Uh, when you can't point at the conference flag as a reason to get guys there. Yep. All righty. Uh, that basically wraps it up. I and mean, we mentioned uh, earlier already Baylor, UTSA, AM is your reverse order in the top uh, in the power rankings. We might be looking at some birds at the number one since AM lost their first game of the year. I know Mike Craven's going to love making that change uh, this week. So, yeah, I mean, we mentioned it. We're going to have a lot. We, we were going to have a lot to say about all of these teams. And sure enough, we have a lot to say about all of these teams because there were some pretty defining results this week heading in. Yeah, I'm, uh, I think UTSA is probably the safe bet for the top of the power pole. I'm glad you guys hired me uh, when they were really good. This has been nice. Uh, for me, the question becomes who's number two? I mean, it's Baylor, right? It's, I think it's got to be Baylor. By the way they've won and – you know, they put to bed these teams that, you know, we call them easy wins, but they put them to bed like they weren't in jeopardy. So I already asked. They won't let me put Arkansas at one. <laughs> they got the two best wins in the state. I don't know why they're not number one. Southwest they Conference. Beat Rice. I mean, they're three and oh against our power pole. And they're technically in our magazine, too. We have a little section where we have regional rivals and Arkansas is one of them. So we do cover them to a certain extent. So I don't Sam know. Pittman on the cover next year. You heard it here first. Right. Sam Pittman on the cover with Malik Hornsby right there next to him. <laughs> no, oh, sorry. man. Yeah. Mallory, how'd the Michigan State uh, Spartans do? Oh, I uh, I didn't get out of there without having at least three heart attacks, but we we pulled it out in overtime. So. Against the mighty Nebraska Cornhuskers who are just flying high right now, right? To be, All fair, right. To be fair, they played us 
perfectly. Their defense played us perfectly. And they're well, not a, a bad, they're not a bad team. So <laughs> watch out for those corn huskers. <laughs> Go to watch out for those who might be looking at a new coach in November. But regardless, <laughs> <laughs> that is I mean, all for me. Trying to make myself feel better. <laughs> Fair enough. We all do it. Uh, That is all from us on this Sunday. We will be back Wednesday to talk another good slate of games. Mike Craven, early indications of where you might be this weekend. I'm going, I'm going to East Texas, Sam Houston state at Stephen F. Austin. That's right. Um, I'm also going to watch Prairie View A&M versus Arkansas Pine Bluff on Thursday. So um, it's going to be i I'm excited. I'm going to, I'm going to have a good time out in that area. Don't ever doubt Mike Craven's sub FBS credentials. Southland till I die. There you go, baby. All right, we'll be back Wednesday with all the previews for this upcoming weekend.